Well, good morning. Um, in case you're not entirely sure who I am, you see me walking around, you didn't know exactly why I belong here. My name is Billy Meenan, and I work with the high school students here at Highlands. And by the immense grace of Jesus, as of two weeks ago, I am a seminary graduate. So I promise... Oh, thank you. <laughs> so you understand, it was by the grace of, of Jesus that that happened, by the applause. Our passage today uh, is going to come from Matthew chapter 2, if you want to go ahead and start turning there. Um, this is a very well-known passage. It's about the, the Magi, or uh, as the wise men are in our text um, and the star, the great star that they followed. And I tested this out with the youth, so I'm going to go ahead and, and use it here. And I read it in a commentary, too, so it's okay. Uh, but this is, in fact, the very first Star Trek. Oh, I was hoping for a little more. That's okay. So this is a, this is a passage. Uh, it's cloaked in a lot of mystery. There's a lot that's unknown in this passage, and there's a lot of misconception as well. Um, this did not happen right after the birth. Uh, they're no longer in the stable. He's no longer in the manger. It's probably up to two years later. Uh, they're, they're actually in a house. Jesus is a toddler, probably walking around, maybe even saying a couple of words. Uh, and we're not entirely sure who these magi were or who these wise men were. They were advisors to the king. Uh, we don't know which king. We don't know exactly where they came from. Um, we're not entirely sure how they heard about what was going on. Um, we have some ideas. Um, we also don't know exactly what this star was, this, this star that led them to where the Messiah was. Uh, there are a lot of people that, that have kind of researched it to try to figure it out. It might be a conjunction of planets, comets, supernovas, but we're just really not entirely sure of what's going on. But in all this mystery, in all this, there is something very, very profound for us to understand and for us to look at. And so that's what I want to do. So let's, uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will, we will look into the world, into the word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for everything that you have given to us. I thank you most importantly for your word. Lord, I pray that you would be with us now as, as we read your scripture. I pray that you would open our ears and soften our hearts so we would not simply hear your word, but we would receive your word. Be with us now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me the word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they, saw, that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. 
And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So, again, a lot of mystery about this passage. But here's the great thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter exactly what that star was. It doesn't matter exactly where these wise men, these magi, came from. Because all those details and much more are purposefully left in the shade so that against the dark background of the world, the light may shine forth all the more brightly. The focus of this passage is Jesus, the Messiah. Why? Because this is the greatest news the world has ever seen. That Jesus, the Messiah, has come. As, as Brad uh, preached last week, you can't have Christmas without Easter. And you can't have Easter without Christmas. Jesus came to live the life we could never live. Die the death we so justly deserved. So that we may be called children of God. So why the mystery? Why is there so much mystery about this passage? Well, we have to understand, you know, Matthew, who wrote this, you know, he was a tax collector. He was an accountant. This is a detailed guy. Uh, it's possible he was even, maybe even the secretary, the one that, took the, that wrote down the notes of what was going on with all the disciples. And so what we need to know about this passage is that everything we need to know is there. Matthew wants to make it very, very clear to us that the purpose of telling this story of the, of the wise men was to lead us to worship Jesus. The whole, the whole meaning of this passage is that Jesus is here. Worship him. I could stop there, but I won't. The heavens show the way, the truth, and the life. And it's Jesus. So worship him. I want to make three observations about how the heavens show us this. The heavens show that Jesus is for everyone. The heavens show that God controls the universe. And the heavens show the condition of our hearts. So let's look at this first, that heavens show that Jesus is for everyone. As I said before, we don't really know a lot about who the Magi were, but it is very clear that they were Gentiles or they were pagans. They were not Jews. They were not of Jewish uh, origin. Matthew wants us to know that something shocking is happening here. Uh, This is probably a very large caravan of people that came here, uh, that came all the way from the east and suddenly show up in Jerusalem looking for the promised king of the Jews. And you can see that in the text it says, Behold! This is, this, is, this is supposed to draw our attention here. There's something shocking going on that these men have all of a sudden showed up. But actually, it's, it's not so much surprising that they were there because the Old Testament said they would be there. If we, in our Old Testament passage that we read there, it talks about how the, the, the nations will come to him, the kings will come and worship him. In fact, the Old Testament has a lot of prophecies that foretell that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and also that kings and rulers of the Gentiles would come and worship him. The text tells us that that's what's going to happen. But there's even more to that. Uh, a lot of scholars have tried to, to figure out where he, they came from. Um, it's, lo- it's possible that they came from Babylon, which would make a lot of sense because the prophet Daniel was a magi, was an, a, an advisor to the king in Babylon. 
And he prophesied a lot about the Messiah. So there may have even been a direct um, text that had been given and carried through the uh, tradition of these wise men, of these magi. Uh, But at the very least, the Old Testament texts were available to them in some shape, in some form. Maybe not a complete one, but they had something. And also, many prophecies in the Old Testament show that the Jewish Messiah would be the savior of Jews and Gentiles alike. And we, we see this all the way back in uh, the account of Abraham, who was originally named Abram. God changes his name to Abram to Abraham that says that he's going to be the father of many nations. Not just the Jewish nation, but all nations. And we see this reinforced in Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall the nations be blessed. Jesus is for everyone. Jesus Jesus is for all people of all nationalities, of all backgrounds. And we know that that's true. We read that. And that's good news for us, especially for the the majority of us that are Gentiles. We do not have any type of of Jewish um, nationality. But sometimes I think that we don't fully grasp the enormity of this truth, that Jesus is for everyone. The gospel is for Southerners. The gospel is for Northerners. Even for some of those weirdos out in Colorado in the West. I'm from Colorado. It's okay, I can say that. The gospel is for Canadians, for Mexicans, for people in South America, for Africa, the Middle East, Asia, for rich, for the poor. For the educated and the uneducated, Democrats, Republicans, and even those that didn't vote. It's also for those who are differently abled or with special needs. And I bring this up because there was a story that was shared with the staff a couple of weeks ago that really has stuck with me. And I want to share it. I got permission to share this story. There was a man in our area that was special needs. He had developmentally special needs. Uh, he, was, he was a grown man, and there are a couple of things that he absolutely loved. He loved talking with people, and he loved Christmas music. And so there was a church that was having a uh, Christmas music event. And so he and his uh, caretaker went to this event that was open to the public, well-publicized. And he went in, and being who he was, he walked around introducing himself and talking with people and, and just enjoying all that was going on. He wasn't doing anything inappropriate. But apparently he made some people uncomfortable. In fact, he made them so uncomfortable that they called the police. And the police came and escorted he and his caretaker not only out of the church, but then followed them in their car all the way back to their house. That story made me sad. And then it made me mad really mad and it stuck with me and I couldn't get rid of it I was like why does this make me so mad well first of all because it should if you look at any time especially in when when Jesus would get angry and would act out it was when the gospel was being denied to people and this is what happened now but it stuck with me and I couldn't get rid of it and I started to think what's going on and I thought, I would never, ever, ever do that. How? But then something struck me. I do that. 
I do that in my heart. And, and all of a sudden, this, this memory flooded back to the very first time that I went out to the Yakima Indian Reservation on a mission trip. And I remember we went to a PCA church worship service on the Indian Reservation. And it was different. And it was nothing like anything I had ever seen. And it was a completely different experience. The same gospel was being taught. The same Jesus was being worshipped. But it made me uncomfortable. And I kept just thinking, why is this making me so uncomfortable? There's something about this that just isn't right. And then during our orientation, they said something that really struck me. They said, the way that our brains are wired, and I don't have the science to back this up, but it really struck me. They said that the way that our brains are wired is that when we see something different, we process it as wrong. The same things in our brain that process different also process wrong. And so it's especially true for me. When you first see different, you think wrong. But that's not the case. And in fact, when I think back about that church service, those people there were probably worshiping Jesus much better than I do because they're doing it dependently, not feeling like they're bringing anything to the table. And that's a reminder to us. The gospel is for everyone, even people who make us uncomfortable. And that's really, really good news for us. Because if the gospel is only for people who look or think or act a certain way, we would all be without hope. That is why the news that the Messiah is here is the greatest news we've ever seen. As I said before, he came to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death we so justly deserved, so that through the love of the Father, the death of the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be transformed to become more and more like Jesus. That's the great news about the Messiah. You don't have to look like him to be accepted by him. He chooses you to make you look like him. How beautiful is that truth? You don't have to clean yourself up. You can't clean yourself up. Jesus says, I will make you beautiful. That's the, be- that's the greatest news we've ever heard. So going back, what are we supposed to be shocked here about this passage? Okay. The thing that is very shocking about this is not only that these um, Gentile or, or pagan magi showed up, but even more so because the reader is supposed to side with the pagan magi and not the religious people in this text. We're going to come back to that. The next point that I want to look at here is, again, that the heavens show that God controls the universe, the star. As I said before, we really have no idea what this star was. We see in a couple of, in in verse 2, it says that the star rose. This seems to be a very normal thing. Um, one of the things that the Magi did, especially during that time, is that they looked at the stars. They were astrologers. They looked to the stars for guidance, to maybe even make predictions. They studied the stars. And so this star rose, and it seems in the normal way. And so they go and they, see, they uh, search out. And then they get to Jerusalem, and it says after they talk with the king that the star reappeared. It had gone away. And not only does it reappear, that it moves. It showed them where to go. So there's something going on here that we just don't know what it is. And it's a little bit ambiguous. There's something very unambiguous about this text, and I love it. 
They say, we saw His star. Very clearly, they said, we saw His star. Not a star, not a really cool star, but His star. It was plain to the Magi that this was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. They didn't say we saw a sign. We're wondering if the Messiah had been born. They says we saw his star. Where is he born? So what do we know about this star? That it was something special. But even beyond that, there's still something interesting here. They still needed the confirmation from the word of God to know the location. They went to Jerusalem. They had enough of understanding what was going on, but they didn't know that he was actually prophesied to be born in Bethlehem. How did he find out? Well, they found out when the king heard from the religious uh, leaders. They told him the text says, the Old Testament prophecy says it's going to be Bethlehem. So God's creation, all of God's creation, points to Jesus. But it's only in in the word of God that Jesus is revealed to us. You can't separate that out. The word of God is where Jesus is revealed to us. But there's something about this star that brought them to this area. And this is really cool. Because again, think about who these magi were. They, were, they looked at stars. They were astrologers. Um, there was many, many back then that, that even worshipped the stars and, and, and viewed them as idols. And so they're looking to the stars They're looking to the stars for answers, maybe even worshiping these stars, and Jesus speaks to them through the stars. God took the stars that had been misused, and he put them to their correct use, which was to lead men to the Messiah. He came to the idol worshipers to reveal Jesus to them through their idol worshiping. Not only is Jesus for everyone, but it's for everyone in every stage of life. Everywhere. Jesus comes to us. And then we see that the heavens show the condition of our hearts. And I want to look at that, that there are three reactions in this text to the star of the Messiah, to the news that the Messiah came. You have the Magi, Then you all have King Herod, and then you also have the religious Jews, the religious people. And there's something uh, very powerful here for us to understand. Let's look first at Herod, King Herod. His reaction to the news that the Messiah had been born was hostility. He saw it as a great threat. Why? Because he was king of the Jews. He had been declared by Rome to rule over to be king of the Jews. He was being threatened. He didn't want this new Messiah to come take his power. And we see he goes to such an extreme length, and you see this later on uh, in the text that I didn't read, but he found out from the uh, Magi when the star appeared, and we can ascertain that it was probably about two years ago, because he then declares that all males under the age of two in Bethlehem be killed in an effort to try to exterminate the Messiah. So not only does he respond with hostility, but he, res- he responds with murderous rage. We're going to come back to that. 
Because then we have the reaction of the religious, the religious elite, the religious people. The people that, that Herod gathers up, he says, are the, the chief priests and the scribes. These are the people whose responsibility it was to carry out the work of God, to read the scripture and, and, and share it with everyone around them. And their reaction was indifference. They looked at the text. They knew the answer. They pointed it out. They told the king. The magi went off, but not a single one of the religious went with them. And you would think that if they had been studying the text and reading the text and and heard the good news that the Messiah was here, they'd at least be curious. But they were completely indifferent. It was barely a blip on their radar. And why was that? They had reason to fear. We see there that, that Herod was obviously someone who dealt very harshly with people and they knew that he could have been a threat, that the Messiah would have been a threat. But I think there's something more there too. I think that there was an aspect of the uh, religious becoming comfortable. King Herod was a very ruthless ruler, but it was also a time that was very prosperous for Israel and Judah. It was a time that it was very good, that the, the temple was rebuilt, buildings were rebuilt. It was a very prosperous time to be Jewish at that time. They were very comfortable. So they had both the fear of upsetting the king, but they were also very comfortable. It's as if they didn't feel that they needed to be waiting for the Messiah as they're called to do like a watchman who waits for the morning. So we're told in the Old Testament, we'd be looking for Jesus, waiting for Jesus, like a watchman waits for the morning. A watchman was a guard, someone who was out looking during the night to see if the enemies were coming. Excuse me, were coming. This is during the dark. You never know exactly what's coming there. So you can imagine a watchman who's waiting for the morning is doing so very anxiously. That dawn coming is the greatest news for him to hear because that means that he's safe again, that another night has passed and he's coming. But that's not what what the people did who knew that Messiah was coming, who had the text that Messiah was coming. They had taken Jesus for granted. They had taken this news of the Messiah for granted. And it's very interesting for us to note here that taking Jesus for granted was not the sin of the pagans to whom God's word was not given, but it's the sin of the religious. And I think there's a caution there for us. Reading through this, really, it it, it pierced me. And so I wanted to share it as well. Are we anxiously awaiting the return of Jesus? Are we preparing for the return of Jesus like a watchman who waits for the morning? Why not? I know for me, there are times when I get too comfortable, when I get too satisfied with where I am in my life and who I've become. But there's something very powerful happening here. When we look at the reactions between the king and and the religious people, we see indifference and hate. But I think this text shows us that the line between indifference and hostility is much thinner than we may think. Think about what happened to that indifference of the religious leaders just a few years later. It turned to murderous rage. Those same religious people who 
wa- were just indifferent to the news of the Messiah, wanted the Messiah to be killed. Why is that? Because you can't stay indifferent to Jesus. You cannot remain indifferent to Jesus. He demands your everything. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. You can't remain indifferent to him. And when something to which we are indifferent begins to demand our attention, indifference begets annoyance. And annoyance begets hostility. And hostility begets hatred. What role does Jesus play in our lives? What role does the Messiah play in our lives? Advent, this time of Advent, when we look forward to the coming of the Messiah, when we remember the coming of the Messiah, it should remind us that we, sh- that we, should, that we should feel a little uncomfortable. Not that he's here. Again, that's the greatest news. But that he hasn't come back yet. It's a reminder that our comfort and our satisfaction is not of this earth. It's in heaven. And the heavens are revealing the way in which that comes to us through Jesus. Advent and Christmas is a time to rejoice. It's a time to worship. But it's not a time to get comfortable. We rejoice because Jesus has come. But he has come to save us from this present evil age. This age is not our reward. This age is not our hope. And that's the good news because of what Jesus gives us. And that's the ability to worship him. We'll look at the third reaction there. We have the reaction of the Magi. The Magi, they encounter Jesus and they go into the house and they throw themselves on the ground. They fall on their faces to worship this toddler. We have to remember, these are very, very powerful men. These are, these are people who answer only to the king. They're used to people bowing to them. This is, a very, this is a very regal position for these men to be in. And regal people don't bow, let alone throw themselves on the ground to worship a toddler. But they were so overcome with who the Messiah was that that was all they could do. And that's what, offered, that's what is offered to us in Jesus. Complete and utter dependence without fear of reputation, without fear of men. Because Jesus is our everything. The Messiah has come and nothing else matters. This is the good news that's available to us. So let's look at these three three things. Jesus is for everyone. So worship Jesus. God controls the universe in order to cause us to worship Jesus. The The only proper way to respond to Jesus is to worship him. I love the way that Matthew comes and kind of structures his gospel. He begins with the story of the Messiah. And this story invites us in. This story says, come, see, the Messiah is here. But then he ends it by recording the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of many nations. You see what, the, what our responsibility is here. We see what their call is. He says, 
Come and see. Now go and tell. Go tell it on the mountains. Go tell it in the hills. Go tell it in the valleys, in the swamps, in the deserts. That Jesus Christ is here. That's the good news for us. That's the good news for the worse, for the, for the world. Come see. Now go tell. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have given him to us. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to be a people who, who worship you. Who worship you in every aspect of our lives in every area of our day-to-day life. Lord, I pray that you would make Jesus the most important thing in our lives. Be with us as as we celebrate Christmas and we remember that you are the way, the truth, and the life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.